Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to today's online service. We're so happy to have you here with us. Um, we hope that we can be of some assistance to you. If you would send us a prayer request, we'd be happy to receive that. You can email us and we'll add you to the prayer list. We'd also ask that you continue to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We do want to let you know that we are back in person for services at EPC in our main sanctuary and we would love for you to join us. All you have to do is make sure to pre-register. Registration takes place starting Monday mornings at nine and goes until Friday at noon each week. We also have children's ministry now for children aged birth to grade five. So make sure that you register your children. God bless, have a great day. Day ahead you have not seen so 
life and breath. I want what you want, Lord, and nothing less. When you don't move the mountains, I need you to move. When you don't part the waters, I wish I could walk through. When you don't give the answers as I cry out to you, I will trust, I will trust, I will trust in you. 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 You are my strength and comfort. You are my strength and comfort. Steady hand, you are my firm foundation, the rock on which I stand. Your ways are always higher, your plans are always good. There's not a place where I'll come, you've not already stood. When you don't move the mountains, I'm needing you to move. When you don't part the waters, I wish I could walk through. When you don't give the answers as I call to you, I will trust, I will trust, I will trust in you. When you don't move the mountains, I need you to move. When you don't part the waters, I wish I could walk through. When you Our scripture reading this morning is from Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, and chapter 2, verses 1 to 6. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In the month of Kislev, in the twentieth year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. In the month of Nisan, 
in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, What is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, How long will your journey take, and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. Good morning, everyone. I graduated from Bible College in April of 1988. In September of 1988, I entered into full-time ministry, experiencing my first full-time pastorate. In the four months in between, I worked in Barrie, Ontario in a small construction company that specialized in rebuilding homes that had been damaged by fire. Rebuilding fire-damaged homes proved to be a challenging task. Normally, when building a house, floors go in before the walls go up. The walls go up before the roof goes on. But in a home that's experienced a fire, the floors could be damaged while the walls are good, or the walls could be damaged and the roof is good. And on top of all of that, it's never easy to get the smoke smell out of a house. Sometimes the most challenging part were the many changes that some of the homeowners wanted to make. A good time to add lighting where there wasn't any before, to move a receptacle, to put it in a more convenient place, to enlarge a closet or move something around in a bedroom. It's always a challenge to rebuild something that has been damaged. Today, we're continuing our sermon series entitled The Re-Series, Moving Forward by Going Back. The prefix re literally translated means again or again and again. And so throughout this series, we have been focusing on themes that we need to consider again and again as we move forward to be who God has called us to be. Today, we'll be focusing on the word rebuild to build something again that has been damaged or destroyed. One of the most critical areas of our lives that can be damaged or destroyed is our relationship with God. Today, we'll be exploring the life of Nehemiah in the Old Testament. And I believe that Nehemiah's task of rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem established a model for us to follow in rebuilding our own relationship with God. We will see today, to move forward, we need to assess the extent of the damage that we have experienced in our relationship with God and take the necessary steps to go back and rebuild it, as challenging as rebuilding might be. First, ruin. In 587 BC, many Jews were exiled to Babylon. Nehemiah was a descendant of these Jews. This story takes place over a hundred years later. Nehemiah, even though he is a Jew, has risen to be a very important person in the court of King Artaxerxes of Babylon. He is the cupbearer 
to the king of Persia. Now you may ask, what is a cupbearer? Well, a cupbearer was historically an officer of high rank in a royal court whose duty was to pour and serve the drinks at the royal table. Now, because of the constant fear of plots to overthrow governments and to poison its leaders, a cupbearer was regarded as a thoroughly trustworthy person. Nehemiah was a high-ranking officer in the king's court. He had a very good life. His good life, not just in comparison to other Jews, but he had a good life even in comparison to many of the Persian people. One day, a group of pilgrims from Jerusalem were passing through, and Nehemiah inquired about Jerusalem. Their response was, the walls were broken down, the gates were burned, the people were in distress. Walls and gates provided protection for the inhabitants of a city. Now that they were vulnerable and weak, their security was gone and their hope lay in ruin. But there is more reflected here than physical protection and security. The walls of Jerusalem were an identity marker, a symbol of Israel's relationship with God. God had promised Israel prosperity and protection, but his promise was based on relationship with his people. So the great city of Jerusalem itself, the temple and all of its practices, and the mighty walls were all symbols and reminders of God's relationship with his people. But the people of Israel had broken their covenant with God. They disobeyed God. They sinned against God. They turned their back on God. They rejected even the warnings of God's prophets. They instead took on the practices of those around them and entered into idolatry, embracing things that damaged their relationship with God. They had pushed God away. And the result was King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon had turned on Jerusalem and damaged all of its identity markers, and now all of the things that symbolize God's relationship with his people lay in ruin. The walls were more than a physical structure. They served as a reminder of God's protection and relationship with his people. The relationship had been destroyed by sin, and the crumbled walls reminded them of the consequences of their actions. Second, response. The news of the reality of Jerusalem had a significant impact on Nehemiah. Not just broken walls, but a broken relationship. First, we're told he mourned. He was grieved by the sadness of the damage that had taken place. He was grieved for the people of God who had suffered the dire consequences of their sins. Now, it's important to note, Nehemiah was not born in Jerusalem. He was born in captivity. He had likely never even been to Jerusalem. He may not have even personally known anyone who lived in Jerusalem. Even though he may not have known them personally, he did have a bond with them. These were fellow Jews, regardless of where they lived. Israel would always be home. He is carrying the weight of their reality in his heart. Mourning for what was, mourning for what is, mourning for what could have been. His mourning incorporated prayer. He began to fast and pray on behalf of the people and the place that meant so much to them. He prayed with intensity. He sought God's forgiveness on their behalf. He requested that God would grant them a second chance. He even offered himself to help rebuild the walls. 
it was not proper to show sadness before the king. Doing so could actually result in execution. But Nehemiah could not hide his burden. The king noticed and asked what it was that was bothering him so much. So he relayed the story to the king, who in turn asked Nehemiah what he, the king, could do to help. Nehemiah requested permission to go and rebuild the damaged walls. The king granted his request along with supplies and the men needed, and Nehemiah set out for Jerusalem to rebuild the walls. The name Nehemiah literally interpreted means the comfort of God. Arriving on the scene in Jerusalem and announcing that he had come with supplies and men to rebuild the walls was the comfort of God to a broken people. Third, rebuilding. Rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem meant more to Nehemiah than nostalgia. It was more than just restoring a physical structure. It was symbolic of Israel's need to rebuild their relationship with God. Having a city with a temple and walls would not guarantee a relationship with God. They had proven that fact before the exile. Nehemiah desired that the rebuilt walls would remind the people of their need to rebuild their relationship with God. When Nehemiah started rebuilding, he probably expected that the greatest challenge would be the actual labor and the work. But soon he discovered that this was not the case. The greatest challenge would be overcoming the obstacles that came between him and his goal. There were many things that happened that seemed capable of, re of destroying this rebuild. There was an enemy attack. Israel's enemies stood around and made fun of them, ridiculing them, putting them down. This was discouraging for the builders. It was hard work. They needed positive reinforcement. Instead, what they faced was demoralizing. There were those who tried by force to stop what they were doing. And in response, Nehemiah divided the workers into two groups, workers and watchmen. All of them were armed with swords, ready for an attack. They worked with a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other. Then there was internal conflict. We're told that some of the wealthy Jews were owed money from some of the poor Jews. And so because the wall was broken and they were working to rebuild it, the poor Jews could not earn the necessary dollars to repay their debts. So the rich Jews took action. They confiscated the fields, the belongings, the children of these poor Jews and charged them high levels of interest. This action on the part of the wealthy was making it impossible to rebuild the walls. So Nehemiah had to intervene. The challenge of rebuilding the wall was already challenging enough. They didn't need division from within. And then there was distraction. Some of their enemies tried to trick Nehemiah by asking him to come down from his work on the wall to have a meeting to discuss some things. The Bible tells us that their intention was to harm him. But Nehemiah replied to them and said, I am doing a good work. I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I come down to you? Despite the obstacles, Nehemiah kept his eyes on his goal and would not give up until the walls were rebuilt. There are three observations that I would like to make from our scripture today. The first is identity markers. Some of Israel's identity markers were the city of Jerusalem itself, the temple, circumcision, the city wall, etc. The list goes on. These were things 
that symbolized their relationship with God and often gave them a false sense of security that their relationship with God was right, even though they were not living as God desired them to live. I want to suggest today that we also have identity markers, things that remind us of our relationship with God, but in themselves are not necessarily an accurate reflection of where we are in our relationship with God. Some of our identity markers could be church attendance on Sundays or watching a weekly online service. It could be volunteering. It might be giving. It might be small group participation. It could be participating in a program. The truth is, we can be active in all of these areas, but our relationship with God may not be what it needs to be. This becomes magnified when a pandemic hits and all of the identity markers are stripped away. Church attendance on Sundays, no longer possible. Volunteering, no longer a need in, for the most part. Giving, well, if I'm not going to a building where the expectation is for me to give, well, maybe I don't give. Small group participation, who wants to meet over Zoom? Program participation, well, most of them aren't running. And so there's nothing left to hide behind in times like this. And so my point is this, sometimes the things that symbolize our relationship with God can actually serve to disguise the reality that our relationship with God needs a rebuild. Perhaps having all of the usual identity markers stripped away, well, is actually positive. Now we can see where we really are in our relationship with God with nothing to hide behind. Secondly, repentance. Nehemiah's response of mourning and intercession and desiring to bring change was actually an act of repentance on behalf of the people. Repentance involves mourning any wrong that has been done. It involves calling out to God for forgiveness and a new chance or a new opportunity. It involves taking action towards a new way of living. That's exactly what Nehemiah did. Now, all of us will experience moments in our lives when things will happen and we will realize that our relationship with God is not what it should be and we need to take action. Now, may I suggest that repentance is always the best place to start. Grieving our sins, our wrongdoing, our drifting away, our disobedience. Asking God to forgive us and give us another opportunity. And then making the decision to live differently from this moment on. Perhaps you can relate to what I'm saying today. That you're realizing that your relationship with God, for whatever reason, is not what it once was. It's not what it should be. It's not even what you wished it could be. And if so, I want to encourage you today to reach out to God and to begin the process of rebuilding your relationship with him, starting with genuine repentance. Thirdly, obstacles. Sometimes it seems that coming to the realization and admitting that our relationship with God is not what it should be is the most difficult part. I would suggest that while this is a critical first step, the reality is there will always be obstacles that we encounter that will attempt to hinder our goal of rebuilding our relationship with God. Like Nehemiah, we too have an enemy who wants us to fail, who wants us to give up, 
who wants us to be intimidated and overwhelmed. Like Nehemiah, we too will find some of our greatest challenges from the least likely of places, amongst those who are fellow believers. It's not uncommon for fellow believers, people who should be encouraging us along the way, instead becoming the ones who bring us down. Like Nehemiah, we too will face obstacles that may hinder us from rebuilding our relationship with God. Past pain and hurt can be an obstacle. Present struggles and hardship can be an obstacle. Our priorities and goals can be an obstacle if our priorities and goals conflict with God's plan for us. Like Nehemiah, our goal of rebuilding our relationship with God needs to be so important that we will not allow anything to stand in the way. In conclusion this morning, I want to remind us, sometimes the things that symbolize our relationship with God can actually serve to disguise the reality that our relationship with God needs to be rebuilt. All of us will experience moments in our lives when things will happen and we will realize that our relationship with God is not what it should be and we need to take action. Our goal of rebuilding our relationship with God needs to be so important that we'll not allow anything to stand in the way. To move forward, we need to assess the extent of the damage that we have experienced in our relationship with God and take the necessary steps to go back and rebuild it, as challenging as rebuilding might be.
just like you do God, I look to you You're where my help comes from Give me wisdom You know just what to do I will love you I will love you, Lord, my shield. I will love you, Lord, my rock. Forever, all my days, I will love you, God. Hallelujah, our God reigns. I want to thank you for joining us today. If we could be of assistance, please don't hesitate to email or call us and we'll do what we can to come alongside and help you. Thank you once again for joining us. God bless you and have a great week.